Good morning, everybody. You are very welcome to today's webinar. My name is Una Gilvari and I am CTO of HCI, the Chief Technical Officer, and this is part of our HCI webinar series. And we've been running these for approximately the last 18 months or so, um, every six to eight weeks, and they're open to all health and social care providers. Now, this morning session, we're going to be looking in this instant at an independent review and in this case the Ogundine review which was recently completed in relation to Shrewsbury and the Telford Hospital NHS Trust specifically in relation to mater maternity services and within this we're going to look at it and try and identify some of the internal systemic issues um, that were that they found were central to uh, the provision of such poor care and I suppose also we, we're, we're going to look at the tail end also about how these failings have actually occurred before um, and, and unfortunately how the lessons have not been learned both in the UK and, and in Ireland. So we'll spend a little bit of time on that. Okay, so uh, in relation to this uh, particular independent review, I'm sure you've all been aware of the headlines as they have come to pass uh, with, with the recent release of the report. But before we get into the actual detail and, and the findings that arose as part of the investigation, I just wanted to look generally, first of all, at, at what the, the Shrewsbury and Telford Hospital Trust is really about. Um, there are two main services in the Trust. That's the Princess Royal in Telford and, and the Royal Shrewsbury Hospital in, in Shrewsbury. And in accordance to their own website, these two facilities provide almost 99% of the services provided. However, the maternity services within the trust is based on what they call the hub and spoke model with that consultant led maternity unit uh, being the Princess Royal being surrounded by various midwifery led units uh, and that's outside surrounding in, in the Shropshire region. Now, throughout the years, the number and, and quality and quantity of, of these midwifery-led units has varied, but there are currently five of these. So we have one in the, in the Royal Shrewsbury, one in, in the Princess Royal, and then we have Bridge North, Ostwestry, and Ludlow. And Ludlow is the one we're going to talk about in a little while when we look at our case studies in that regard. The review itself came to, it came to being uh, way back in 2017, and it arose from questions that were raised by two families who had lost babies in 2009 and 2016. And then there was a further 21 families who had experienced adverse outcomes that were part of the terms of reference at that stage. And the first report was released back in December 2020. And I say it's a responsive report, but not, I mean, it is still three, three years down the line, but it really was about the immediate corrective actions that needed to be implemented ASAP within, within the trust. However, this final report has a slightly different approach and certainly has a much wider scope. It incorporates the cases of over 1400 families and a total uh, over 1500 clinical incidents who received maternity care throughout the years from 2000 to 2019. And as I said, the particular focus in this regard is slightly different because it focuses on the trust failings in governance particularly, which they believe led directly to the harm that families experience. So it's a very much a systematic review of the trust in, in that regard. Before we get into those systematic elements, it's important that, you know, that we, we, we recognize the clinical outcomes uh, due to these failings in care. And overall, the review report, which is over 240 pages long, um, it found that 201 babies could have survived had the service provider provided better care 
relating to 70 neonatal deaths and 131 cases where babies were stillborn. In 29 cases where babies suffered severe brain injuries and 65 incidents of cerebral palsy, they found significant or major concerns within the care provided. And of the 12 maternal deaths reviewed, none of the mothers had received care in line with best practice. So that in itself, a very damning indictment. But what we want to try to look at now is look at the internal and external factors with which they feel contributed to these failings in care. And those of you uh, uh, are, are, I'm sure you're all not surprised to see governance and leadership being one of the primary areas of focus in relation to this report, leading from that culture, failures in relation to person-centered care, issues in relation to incident and complaint management, and interestingly, the impact of external regulators um, on the care being provided or the belief, should I say, in the care being provided um, which is, is an interesting aspect that we, we will look at briefly in relation to it. So I just want to spend a little bit of time talking about each of these, again, looking from a systems perspective and being considerate of our own services as they're applied. So from the governance and leadership perspective, they found overall the organizational structure of the trust was very unclear. So you have two core facilities and a number of, of, of spoke facilities as they detail them. And they found that there was generally a lack of cohesion between those sites and that the teams and committees that should have really brought a central focus and vision and drive for the quality and safety of the services being provided failed to do so. There was inefficient, the terms of reference for these committees were, were not supported, the agenda items were not sufficient, the follow-up on minutes and actions uh, were, were found to be very much lacking, and there was no traceable government's model to, to, to support that uh, quality and safety of care, and a definite lack of the roles and responsibilities generally throughout the trust in relation to levels of accountability. The board itself was found to have an extraordinary level of failings. The first being that they had no oversight of the issues and concerns within the, the service. So the day-to-day the -day data and information that was uh, being created uh, within the service was not being analyzed, wasn't being trended, wasn't being benchmarked and presented to the board to take effective action in that regard. And one of the key roles of the trust providing strategic direction and continuous improvement was again found very lacking. Um, it became a very stagnant environment, which they tick, it was a ticking along from a day-to-day -day perspective without any primary focus on a drive towards continuous improvement. And of course, without those measures, it was, would have been very difficult to do so. And they also found that the board did not ensure development of accountable implementation plans that where they did identify that there were issues. There was, an, a, there was a, a significant weakness in the application of addressing these issues. Nobody was made accountable for actions to be implemented. And again, that meant that the continuous improvement elements withered on the vine in relation to it. The trust leadership team was found to be in this constant state of churn and change, and again failed to foster a positive environment to support to encourage service improvement at all levels. So people went on the leadership team, did their time, ticked in, ticked out, and there was no real drive or purpose to that leadership team at any stage. 
They found inadequate support from consultant services caused a consistent lack of clinical expertise to be available, with locum doctors being unsupported on occasions, with unsafe clinical practice not being addressed or challenged. And again, the suboptimal staffing levels and unsafe inpatient staffing ratios were identified, with staff often feeling fearful and stressed at work during poor staffing levels. And I know we've all experienced incredibly difficult times over the last number of years in relation to restrictions for staffing. But in this instance, it seemed that resources were available to the board to be able to support um, uh, staffing. However, they were not directed uh, in this regard. If we look then at the culture and obviously running directly from governance and, and that really led the way in relation to the culture of the organization, they found extremely poor relationships and a real culture of them and us, not just between the midwifery and the obstetric staff, but also between management and frontline. And, and, and that culture um, drove what they, some staff members described as a click uh, on some of the wards with a culture a consistent culture of undermining and bullying. Staff members described that the behavior experienced on the labor ward was so bad, they had difficulty finishing their shifts and often cried secretly at work. And other staff were advised by the trust managers not to assist in the, in the investigation. And we'll see throughout the findings as we talk about them this morning, that constant um, stage of, of, of protectionism um, when there was definitely understanding and knowledge of how poor um, the, the, the service was performing, yet there was that protectionism of keeping it in-house, keeping it under control and trying to manage it internally. Other elements in the culture, the relentless drive to keep uh, C-section rates uh, low. And we're going to talk briefly in a little while about the Morecambe Bay um, investigation. And this was something that came up uh, there also. Just as an example, within uh, from 2010 to 2018, the C-section rate within this trust was between 19 and 22 percent. The national average was about 25 to 30 percent at that stage. So they, the trust saw this as a great flag bear for the quality and safety of care that being provided. Of course, now we know that that was not the case, as these sections in many cases were being uh, are the, the, trying to keep the, these numbers low, led to uh, increased risks for the, the mothers and babies uh, in their care. They found that there was a general lack of care within the within the trust. Hospital notes, uh, the, the hospital trust kept important clinical information on post-it notes, and these were just swept away in the bin by cleaners. So a general lack of care and regard um, uh, for, for, for the, the mothers and their babies, and a lack of compassion. And this, again, was something that was seen in Morecambe Bay, where staff... Um, had, had women in their care that were distressed in traumatic circumstances, but there was a blame culture towards these women. And in many cases, babies being referred to as it, where they really recognized that they accepted that the loss of babies was part and parcel of the service that they were providing. It was a natural part of the process rather than seeing as a, as a significant issue that needed to be addressed immediately. Person-centered care, they saw repeated patterns of poor care with repeated failures to uh, follow national clinical, clinical guidelines in many cases. And they found that a lot of the staff were far too overconfident in their ability to manage complex cases. And again, building on that them and us, and we will keep it within our, our remit to manage it. However, when they did escalate concerns, 
they found in many cases that the senior clinicians uh, lacked response in relation uh, to that, that escalation. But delays seem to be the most endemic element of the person-centered care uh, or the lack thereof. Delays in women being admitted to the labor ward during induction and again, delays in women being assessed for emergency intervention during labor uh, to detrimental effects. Complaint management, and again, we see this again and again coming up in, in, uh, as part of systemic issues within organizations with uh, significant failings. Patients consistently not being listened to, both when they were in the ward and, and post-discharge, concerns and complaints being dismissed out of hand. Clinicians were unprepared to follow up uh, when, when they had follow-up meetings with families, response letters to complaints had inaccurate information detailed. And within these responses, they seemed to justify their actions at all cost, irrespective of whether it was reflective of the truth or not. And in some cases, they blamed, again, laying the blame of the family, the protection mechanisms uh, being put in, in, in place, certainly. Incident management came into for a really detailed level of focus within the review, um, and they found that these internal reviews, these inter internal uh, incident reviews, were often very cursory. They were not multidisciplinary, they did not identify underlying systematic failings, and in some significant cases of concern, they weren't investigated at all. The maternity government's team they believed inappropriately downgraded serious incidents to a local investigation methodology in order to avoid external scrutiny so that the true scale of the serious incidents at the trust went unknown. So this is one of the most frightening elements of it, where they believe that the maternity governance team had full knowledge of the level, um, the, the, the issues that were arising on a consistent basis. But again, the protection mechanism, the defensive mechanism was to keep it in-house, keep it controlled so that they could manage the processes. They found on, a, on an ongoing basis to, with the incident management process, lessons were not learned, mistakes in care were repeated and repeated again, and the safety of mothers and babies was unnecessarily compromised as a result. The external regulation element is interesting of it because when the, the, they completed the review, the investigators found that there was a number of external reviews carried out by services. Now, some of those were by local clinical commissioning groups, but others were completed by the CQC, are reflective of, of HICWA, I suppose, in our, in our own remit. So that was over the last decade. And they, the review team expressed concerns that they found that some of these findings gave false reassurance about maternity services at the trust, despite repeated concerns being raised by families. And I suppose this is opening a whole new can of worms um, in relation to uh, the CQC and their, and their role. So they were notified by patients that there were significant issues in this regard, and either A, they were unable to substantiate them with their investigations, or B, they decided to look the other way, and both of which are quite damning in, in either regard. But it was the reviews team that opportunities were lost to have improved maternity services at the trust much sooner, which is, is, is certainly very damning. The, as I said, the report is over 240 pages long. There are reams of recommendations in that regard. But just to pick on, on, on a few, obviously, they're looking for much more robust governance processes with effective organizational structures and key quality and safety indicators continually being reviewed.
They're looking for clinical competency with a single set of training targets agreed across all maternity services with a robust investigation process that must be overseen by the board and supported by an independent uh, panel in that regard. And obviously, again, the evidence-based clinical guidelines being utilized in all cases. When the report was released, it was obviously the, the horrendous findings that were there, but a number of people picked up on a particular aspect of it. And it was about the similarity of these findings with previous um, uh, investigations that had taken place. Just in one of these quotes is from Dr. Alex Jones, he's from Cardiff University, and he raised concerns over the repetitive and endemic nature of the care failings in the NHS, and that you could cut and paste recommendations made from reports back in the 1960s, and he found that that was a sobering message. He noted that while the review had shocking revelations, it was their consistency with other reports, such as Mark and Bay back in 2015, that was most concerning. And he believed that although organizations change, the culture was remaining the same. And from that, it harks back, we, we completed a review paper in HCI uh, quite recently, Can Our Health Systems Learn? And that's where we took uh, high profile um, investigations from the UK and Ireland and mapped. So we, we completed a comparative analysis to try and map, map the systemic issues that were evident throughout these uh, serious incident reviews. And I suppose as, as part of that research paper, we did look in detail at Morecambe Bay. Now, in this case, it, it is a smaller group. Um, it's, it's 233 cases that were under investigation at that stage. But again, it was established to examine, uh, to examine concerns raised in relation to the management of their serious incident review process. And I, we're not going to go into detail. We don't have time for it to do that today. But you could almost transfer the findings from the Markham Bay directly on to, uh, to the Oakendeam review, where they found significant systemic issues in relation to governance with poor clinical governance, consistent management instability, variance and conflict in roles in that regard. That drove onto the culture where we had the midwives and obstetricians with this drive for natural birth at all costs, with an avoidance, if at all possible, uh, of the obstetricians, and they identified no specific practic practice issues, even when there was consistent deaths of, of uh, babies on the ward, they, they, they accepted this as part and parcel of the service. They had significant issues in relation to complaint. They weren't processing them within the timelines. There was poor response rate. They had unsatisfactory conclusions for families. And again, a very weak incident management system, leaving serious incidents unreported, unescalated, and with very weak and super, superficial findings and, and, and actions in that regard. Their person-centered care incorporated a failure to monitor, a failure to recognize clinical deterioration, and a failure to communicate and escalate in all cases. So you can see the heavily matching. I mean, it really is almost like a carbon copy of the findings. I just want to touch briefly on one particular case study, and this taken from the Oakendeam Review, and this is of baby Joshua, who uh, was born in 2008, so somewhere in the middle between 2000 and, and, and 2009, across the, the remit of the scope of the report. He was born at Ludlow uh, Midwifery Unit, so one of those spoke midwifery uh, units. He was born in a poor condition. He was transferred by air ambulance, 
uh, to the Royal Shrewsbury, but died there on day six after his care was withdrawn. Now, Joshua's mother uh, throughout her pregnancy was considered a low risk, even though complications had arisen at week 31 of her pregnancy, where she uh, complained of uterine tightening and, and tenderness. Even at that stage, there was no analysis of risk to ensure the normality of the pregnancy and whether or not it was going to be appropriate for her to deliver in Ludlow. Now, Joshua's mother reported decreased fetal movements on her day prior to labor. labor. However, on her admission, no CTG was performed. When the baby was born, there was no sign of life and two midwives attempted res to resuscitate the baby, but did not follow the UK resuscitation guidance. There, were no, there was no portable resuscitation equipment available within the service at that time. Joshua was then transferred, unsecured on a stretcher by air ambulance. He was ventilated and his care was withdrawn after a head scan re revealed widespread damage to Joshua's brain. Now, when the Ogendam review analysed uh, the, the case notes and, uh, in this regard, they had a number of issues. So the review team was concerned by alterations added to the notes in different pen that appeared to change the fetal heart rate recordings documented during labour. So again, that protective measure is a defensive report. Documents provided to the review team by the trust showed discrepancies between factual events and what actually uh, between factual events and what actually happened. So there was untruths being told uh, to parents in this regard, and in other cases, extracts that contained additional information was not disclosed to the family. Internally, a decision to refer the incident to a, a coroner was then reversed by a small number of individuals within the trust who then decided that the incident was best managed uh, and reviewed internally. But within this, uh, the risk management review um, failed to follow their own internal investigation process and they failed to identify any root cause uh, within that investigation. Subsequent to the investigation, a few very weak action points were circulated uh, about this case via a memo that was circulated to a, a small group of people. It suggested that a change in practice was not mandatory and it was optional whether to use CTG when a woman presented with reduced fetal movements. So the, re uh, the review also identified that this lack of portable resuscitation equipment in Ludlow had been on the risk register for three years previous um, to baby Joshua's birth, but no response to the risk was ever implemented by the board. And just to highlight the lack of learning almost one year following uh, the, the passing of baby Joshua, baby Kate um, uh, Stanton Davis died following her birth at Ludwig Birth Centre. And again, it is almost identical um, to the, the, the occurrences, what happened with baby Joshua. So they were markedly similar features, both mothers presenting with antenatal concerns, reduced fetal movements, resuscitation concerns, and both babies being uh, transferred by air ambulance. However, the care provided had not changed in any way, shape or form over that period of 12 months. And the review found that one overarching theme from the review was that over the years, there has been a failure within maternity services at the trust to investigate and learn from serious clinical incidences. So I suppose the question remains as we, we come to a close is, are we doing any better? Um, well, we have to look back a little bit um, at the, the there was an overview report of HICWA's monitoring program against the national standards for safer, better maternity services. It's, it's, it's a couple of years ago now, but at that time, HICWA found high levels of compliance against most of the national standards assessed within the monitoring program. However, 
they did identify national shortfalls across the board um, in relation to the formalization of care pathways, substandard physical environments, inadequate staffing levels, low uptake at multidisciplinary training, um, short, shortfalls in relation to measures of sharing learning about good practice and sharing learning when things go wrong. So we have to now ask ourselves, I suppose, with this in mind, but also with the findings that are there, are our services at risk for any of the failings that were identified within the Oak and Dean review? And what I would ask you to take away from you is just, I suppose, to consider these, this, the, the, the systemic elements that we've talked about today and just considered how confident are you in relation to the robustness uh, of these systems within your services? Do we have um, a robust governance process that provides leadership and strategic plans and developments with a singular focus uh, for continuous improvement within the service? Do we have a strong organizational structure with the appropriate teams and committees in place and accountability uh, there to support the organization? How are our complaint and incident management models working? Are they effective? Are they responsive? And are they actually, again, driving continuous improvement measures within our services? How person-centered is the care that we are providing on a day-to-day -day basis? Are we considerate of the clinical guidelines, the best practice, and again, driving that continuous improvement in that regard? Do we incorporate risk management in all aspects of the services that we are providing? And are we utilizing the data that has been produced on a day-to-day -day basis within our services to ensure that we can um, identify our performance and have a clear measure uh, of benchmarking um, on a month-to-month -month basis? And again, is there a robust process and a supportive model for whistleblowing internally so that we can be aware of the issues that are arising within our services and address them as quickly as possible. What I'd like to do is just uh, let you know there are a number of HCI support services available to you should you need any support in these regards. Currently, we're completing a um, number of gap analysis against the national standards for the safer, better maternity services, and also now against the national standards for the safer, better healthcare. As we know, HICWA have been uh, progressing these, and there is a judgment support framework now available um, to support that model as they move forward. We complete a number of governance systems review, patient culture, uh, patient safety culture surveys have been uh, certainly to the forefront over the last 12 months also. We have an extensive uh, quality and safety of care audit program, provide education and training, and we also complete those independent serious incident reviews should the need so arrive. And obviously we have a number of quality management information systems to be able to support uh, all of these models in this regard. And feel free to contact us at any stage or you can contact Rosemary also in that regard. I'd just like to leave the last word to Donna Ockendine um, from, uh, from her executive summary and her report. And she detailed, never again should families be left to grieve or suffer in isolation with the additional pain of feeling their legitimate concerns are being ignored. Our intention is that this report will underpin the future journey of maternity services so that services will be safer. We will hear the families better and we will be more accountable in that regard. And that pretty good to the time, Rosemary. I think we have we, we, we were on the button for it. Hopefully I haven't spoken too too quickly. And I really hope that you have taken some value from this morning's session. Um, and I said, feel free to contact us at any stage if we can be assistance um, and, and supporting you within the quality and safety of the service that you're providing. Thank you very much for your time, everybody.